I'm Byron Harris. Owes Aldarkazali has a nickname, Big Al. He looks like a cross between Mr. Clean and a college linebacker. His soft-spoken demeanor belies his past. He was just 12 the first time the Americans bombed his home. The year was 1991, and the U.S. and allies had declared war on Saddam Hussein, the Iraqi dictator. Bombs and missiles thundered across Baghdad, and the night sky was laced with tracer bullets as Operation Desert Storm began. Oz's father decided to seek refuge outside the city. The family of six crammed into the family car and drove, while bullets literally showered down on them. And we left in the middle of the night. I don't remember what time it was, maybe one in the morning. And I remember my dad driving, and I hear that was on the roof of the car, something like that. And I was scared, you know. And when we got there, we got off the car. The roof of the car was like a, it's like a strainer <laughs> full of <laughs> bullets. <laughs> yeah. And those bullets weren't from the American fighters or anything like that. It's the Iraqis shooting in the air, trying to, thinking that they, they're going <laughs> to hit a, a plane or something. And of course, those bullets go up, come down. It's like raining bullets. The war was over in a few months, and the family returned to Baghdad. But the U.S. did not remove Saddam from power. Saddam was against anybody who was against him. Anybody who wanted to do something to hurt the regime or cause any political unrest, Saddam was against him. So nobody was safe. You're safe if you're on his side and praise him all the time. So began a dozen years of economic hardship in Iraq as American economic embargoes sought to loosen the dictator's grip. It did not work. In 2003, in the aftermath of 9-11, the U.S. launched another war against Saddam, ultimately killing more than 200,000 Iraqi civilians. By that time, Owes, in his early 20s, had graduated from dental school. Back home, I did school for five years, and then I worked in residency, which was mandatory before you get your license, for two years. I was a dentist. I had uh, an, an office back home. I lived in a nice house and had my own car. When the Americans invaded, at first there was euphoria. We were young. 23, 24 years old, this is a new age and it's going to be great. We don't care about what happened, we don't care about, okay, that's war, yeah, it's bad, people died, but that's the price to pay to get our freedom. And that's what we focused on. But slowly we moved to more pessimistic views about what's going on, because we realized that that wasn't the case. It was just liberate or occupy and then just leave with no plan or stay with no plan and that's exactly what happened there was no plan for after the war and that affected all of us affected our security situation on the economy we had no army we had no police we had it was chaos and it was got very dangerous he began writing a blog just after the american invasion eventually he wrote the scene in Iraq is so complicated to the extent that nobody can put an end to this violence, and some others do not want to. 
remember in the beginning it was the relationship was good with the American soldiers. We used to play soccer together. And then quickly things escalated where there was no trust anymore. So I don't blame the soldiers. They want to protect themselves because they started having roadside bombs, attacks, and that happens quickly, within months. If the war didn't happen, we would still be living under dictatorship. I lost nearly all the optimism I had regarding the future of Iraq, he wrote in his blog. It's now a battle zone. I feel so sad when I think that the future is unknown, completely unknown. I can briefly compare the situation in Iraq now and before the war with these simple words. It was very bad, and now it is bad, and I don't know whether it will continue like this or get worse. If it wasn't Saddam, it would be his sons, and they were worse than him. So the war was needed. We needed that to happen. There was no way we could have gotten rid of Saddam if it wasn't for the U.S. If I go back in time, I still say, yeah, we had to do that. It had to be done. But it's just, I wish it would have been done in a better way, with a better plan, a better understanding of the culture. As internal political strife swamped the country, Owes realized that his homeland was descending into civil war. In 2004, he left the country, leaving much of his family behind. I had to sell everything, go to Cyprus, completely different language, right? I couldn't work as a dentist. I had no money left, <laughs> and I had to start over from the beginning. I even cleaned gutters from the beginning. But I didn't mind because I wanted to be safe. I wanted to start a new life, and I knew what was going on what was going to happen back home with the, the civil war and all that happened. So it, it teaches you a lot. The language of Cyprus is Greek, which he did not speak fluently. That experience brought home the realization of how important language is. It's the first thing you should do as an immigrant is learn the language. No matter what, this is the key to success. If you want to stay in that country, that's the only way that you can prosper <laughs> in a new country, which is very important, of course. Language is education. Language is the, the gate to jobs, to being successful, to making money, to everything. Um, it's extremely important to learn it. Luckily for him, back home in Baghdad, his mother had been an English teacher, which guided him toward his next destination. England. I got an opportunity to get a student visa and, and go to England to study dental technology. And I said I'll start with the being a technician and then slowly go back to dentistry and become a dentist. I got to England. I went to that institute where to start the course in two weeks. They said, oh, the course has been canceled. I'm like, what? <laughs> I sold everything. I came here just for this. <laughs> I said, yeah, you got to find another one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I stayed in England for almost a year trying to find something. I had no plans to come here, nothing. I didn't even think of it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the exams. I'm going to study. I'll pass the exams, and then I'll stay in England. But a friend of mine told me about the U.S. and how the system works here. And you have to go back to school for two or three years, depending on the dental school you're going to go to. 
So I came here as a student, and then I applied for asylum, and asylum was approved within, I think, six months. And I passed the exams, and I went back to school. I got accepted to University of Pennsylvania, and did about two and a half years, and I got my DMD degree. He'd gone through the stress of going to dental school not once but twice, and served two residencies to build his life. What's happened in his home country is a lesson on why people become refugees. Most of the people in power now are those hardcore extremist religious people. I can't even say religious. They use religion as a cover. It's all corruption and backed up by Iran. And uh, no, there's no democracy, no real democracy now. There's, uh, there's uh, tens of those religious parties are controlling the country now. Corruption, we are, I don't know, number three or four now in corruption in the world. Infrastructure is destroyed. If you go to Baghdad now, from what my parents are describing the city, you see a lot of electric wires and cords in the streets because everybody has a generator, there's no electricity. No, the education system is not the same like before. And that's what happens when there's no system. It's going to take generations and generations to rebuild the country. Al's parents are now American citizens, but they still spend much of their time in Baghdad, hardened to the strife still shaking the city around them. I remember in 2008, I think, I called my parents. I was living in England, and uh, I heard a, a bomb very close to our house. I heard that something happened in that neighborhood. I was like, oh my God, let me call my parents, see what's going on. So I called them, it's like, oh no, not a big deal, it's just half a mile away. A bomb half a mile away is not a big deal anymore. They don't feel it anymore. And so they, it's just part of their lives now. Refugees all over the world are fleeing similar tragedies. Nobody just gets up and leaves to another country, leaves everything behind, risks their life crossing a river or in, and, and <laughs> trying to get to another country, start a new life just because they wanted to do it. There was a reason. Why did they leave? See, there's dangerous. Economic situation is really bad. They cannot provide for their family. Well, refugees come here and they work. They don't just sit down and do nothing. They work, they buy stuff, they spend money, they pay taxes indirectly, <laughs> but they pay taxes. They find new lives here, they find jobs, and they have families, and families assimilate with the American culture and the language. And it's, that's the thing that Americans need to understand. We've never lived through situations like that before. Something happens, let's say, here in Texas, we have a war, and there's an embargo, and you cannot get out, and there is no food, and there's no money, there's no jobs, and where would you go? You're going to cross to Mexico <laughs> to find a better life for yourself, for a place that's safe for your family. I mean, there are certain things that happen in life that forces you to get out of where you are. It's for your safety, for a better life, for your kids. Oz now has two children, ages three and six. He met his wife, also an immigrant, when he was a dental resident in New York. He uses his refugee experience to teach his kids. The six-year-old, he just started understanding. When I get him something new, for example, and I put a time limit on it, like an iPad or Nintendo or whatever, 
He gets upset at the end. He starts crying, and we go, "Listen, back in the days, back home, I had nothing of that. Look how easy I got it for you. You just wanted it. Next day, we got it. You gotta be thankful. You gotta appreciate that." And one day, I remember that I served him food, and he's, "No, I don't want this. I don't want that." I'm like, Ari, his name is Ari. Like, you see how many options you have here? How many options of food you have here? And I went to online and I showed him pictures of people who no food, very skinny. And it's like, look at those people. They cannot find food to eat. And you're doing this? This is not nice. You have to be thankful. You have to thank life that you have all of this. And I appreciate it. Sure enough, he started eating from his plate. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's just different perspective that they need to understand. They didn't live it. I think like about that. All I, all I can do is just tell them some simple short stories about appreciating what they have, no matter what. It's just the uh, peace and and freedom that we live here. You can't buy that. <laughs> Immigrants' experience is not easy. It's hard to start over. They need help. <laughs> I, I was one of the lucky ones that I, I didn't see any racism. It was easy for me to travel from one country to another and then apply for asylum here. But a lot of other people got lost in the ocean. <laughs> they died. They left their kids behind. Their kids died. And do they do that for fun? No, they wanted to do that. That was the only way to get out. You've been listening to When I Got Here, a production of Literacy Achieves in Dallas, Texas. I'm Dion Kirby, CEO. We provide English literacy programs to hundreds of immigrant and refugee families from all over the world. We help them, we celebrate them. We invite you to tell us your immigrant stories at literacyachieves.org. Tune in next month for another episode of When I Got Here.